0: okay hello and hello. welcome i am heather and i'm laura we're finally doing it yeah. again <laughs> <laughs> um yes uh so this is part two our continued yes i don't know and then just you know the general chit chat yep. that we're trying not to you know make too cumbersome yeah, for everybody I yeah. but i was going to tell you about my bike ride today i rode most of the way to work I've been trying to be diligent and riding at least a couple times a week. Yeah. So it's it's like over six miles, right, one way. You
1: have a little tan. I was like, oh, she must oh, be riding her bike or
0: something. That, and we also went to Arizona. Oh, yeah. We were, like, like, at the like Grand outside. Canyon. It was a lot, and it was fucking <laughs> hot. Um, but, yeah, so I rode my bike today, and then there's just this part on Cascade past Fillmore. It's a more, like, industrial-y area, and there's cars next to me, and I'm riding down the street in the bike lane, and I see it's just, like, full of, like, big chunks of broken glass. Mm-hmm. But I can't go around it because there's, like, cars next to me. And it was, like, such a quick, oh, shit, there's the yeah. glass. And then it was just, like, I ran over it. And I was like, ah oh, fuck. And then I'm writing, and I'm like, and then all of a sudden I hear it. It's like the, like, every time it, you know, hits the ground, I can just hear the air hissing out of it. I'm like, fuck. I'm almost, I'm not, like, super close to work. I was, like, a mile away from work. So it kind of sucked. I was so close and didn't make it. But um so John was in Wyoming over the weekend and he had called I texted him early this morning and then he had called me at around six o'clock and um it's like oh when are you gonna be home he's like oh I should be home by like eight o'clock I'm like oh cool cool so it's like seven fifty when my tire pops and I have to be at work at eight I was like oh shit I wonder if he can go get my truck and like come pick me yeah. up so then called him he was five minutes away from home so just getting in from Wyoming. He has to jump in my car and then come rescue <laughs> yeah. me from like off cascade yeah. past Fillmore and it was a huge pain in the ass and uh so yeah he dropped me off at work I was like ten minutes late almost of course the owner is there that day oh she's usually God, not yeah. I'm like, hey I'm late told her like she was really cool about yeah. it she's she's actually a really cool owner, but um but yeah, so then I had to also get picked up from work it was it was just uh, kind of a lame yeah. day it's sucked yeah
1: did john bring your bike home or he did yeah Yeah. so he brought
0: my bike home i still have to re-fix the tire i've got like that tire goo stuff i think you had said you had used it it like kind of works yeah i've heard that like someone commented on facebook when i grumbled as i was sitting there like (laughs) trying not to cry at the curb (laughs) i was just like angry i wasn't like hurt or anything i was just like frustrated this is like now the fourth me i think flat tire i've gotten while riding to work and i'm riding mostly roads and like a little bit of sand like there's gravel going on nevada there's no bike lane of course and then like when there are bike lanes there's either cars parked in them or it's full of garbage and glass and i've ran over screws and i'll hear like metal bits just fly off into the distance where it's like fuck i hope i didn't get
1: a flat in my tire so it's frustrating. Yeah. Even when I used to ride my bike, too, I felt like I was always getting flat tires. And I feel like it's expensive, so it's just, like, yeah, shitty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I went out to eat or whatever the other night ago. And this I was just thinking of this because I was talking to you about therapy or whatever. <laughs> and uh, not to, you know, be one of those podcasts that talks about, like, your fucking <laughs> therapy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so this chick was, like, sitting at the table, like, Behind me, or I guess, like, in front of me. I don't know. It was next to us, kind of. And I could hear her talking, and she's like, yeah. And he was telling me, like, you know, I love that you don't ask people about your days or, like, how they're feeling or their week or stuff like that. And she's like, yeah, like, I don't need to do that kind of shit. Like, you don't need that shit from your fucking therapist or something like that. Whoa. And then I was like,
0: what, what the fuck?
1: <laughs> and she was literally, like, talking about, like, I feel like being a shitty therapist almost. Yeah. like. I was confused. I was like, so you don't care about... Yeah, I don't know. Was, I just thought it was fucking hilarious. So yeah. Was like, okay.
0: like, some people just... They are like that. Well, <laughs> well, John th- swore off therapy for a long time. Like, he now acknowledges the benefits it has. But, like, when he first... Like, we're talking mid-90s, went to a therapist and was like, he ended up telling me more about his problems than my problems. <laughs> so, and he's like, that's how I know therapy is garbage, you know? Yeah. So... I had to go to a therapist when I was a teenager because my parents made me. They thought I was like, I don't know. I was <laughs> listening to like metal oh. and dressed with spikes and shit. So they were like, there's something wrong. And I was also like, a, just a, such a bitch when I was like yeah. 15 years old. I can't understate that <laughs> enough, man. So how about you? Were you a mega yeah. bitch when you were 15? Oh my gosh.
1: I feel like. <laughs> cringe when I think about me at that age and just with my mom and
0: yeah I've apologized to my mom several times like I have too yeah sorry I was a nightmare (laughs) child I wasn't doing anything bad I wasn't sneaking out I wasn't doing drugs I didn't drink like I was kind of a loser but like but I just, I wanted to be alone and like right by candlelight and like <laughs> yeah. be mysterious and shit. And I was just such a fucking asshole about it.
1: I was too. And yeah. I hated all my mom's boyfriends and if she didn't let me hang out with my friends, I'd be like, yeah! like, <laughs> you know, just like freaking out. Like, yeah. Because I just wanted to be at my friend's house or whatever. Dumb yeah. Shit, so.
0: I just want to be left the fuck alone, man. my parents, they, I didn't want hugs. I'd be like, don't touch me. <laughs>
1: yeah good times good things times. have changed yeah,
0: yeah. but now you know i love my parents so we actually saw them in arizona we like visited i vis- went to california we were there for a couple days and then they drove us out to arizona where john came and picked us up actually and then we like drove back together the next day but do you guys go to arizona every year because didn't you go last
1: year um, or
0: we did but that's like the second year we the second time we've gone oh, okay. um because otherwise yeah that was the first time i'd ever been to her house she moved out there from california um just to get the fuck away from california but i guess there's a ton of transplants in arizona just oh. like colorado yeah. and texas and yeah so my nephew he actually just moved to texas a couple weeks ago oh. to went to dallas so
1: oh. i hope he enjoys it there yeah. <laughs> Exciting, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't think anything else fun has been going on with me, just besides, yeah, skating like I always do. Yeah, awkward as hell. But
0: like you're doing it, so yeah. Who gives a shit? Like yeah. it's it, not for other people; it's yeah. for you.
1: Yeah. Cause the other night that I went skating, maybe it was like last Sunday. So I don't know if I told you this, but I had like I was been practicing my like toe spins or whatever. Mm-hmm. I fell. This guy came up to me. He's like, "Don't do that again." He's helping me up. And as he was helping me up, like, I get this anxiety when people help me up that I'm going to do something awkward. Uh-huh. And then I did do something awkward. I, like, basically grabbed his fucking dick, like, oh on God. his pants. <laughs> and then I was having anxiety about it, like, all night long. Like, wow, I am so fucking weird. And then that same guy, the Sunday after this, I think it was, like, the last Sunday I went skating. uh, He comes up to me again. And he was talking to me about something. And I said something to him and he's like, Oh yeah, you're funny, I like that or something like that, right? Uh-oh. And he tries to do like that like hand thing with me, you oh, know, God. where like people do this and then yeah. like the and then yeah, I I'm uncoordinated, I, l- I know yeah, how you feel. I looked away and I pretended like I didn't see him doing that because he oh, reached God. out his hand and then he did it again when I looked back and I was like, Oh fuck. So <laughs> then I just like did it, but it was like bad, you know, like it didn't hit, like it was just so fucking awkward. I yeah. was like, I'm not a fucking dude, I yeah. can't do this. Like Whatever. So then, like, later that night, he came back up to me, like, right at the very end of the night. He was going to say something to me. And he's, like, skating right towards me. And I thought he was going to, like, you know, kind of, like, swing around or something. But he didn't. So then I ended up, like, grabbing him. And then I, like, basically, like, ricocheted him, like, threw him across the thing. He's like, damn, girl. He's like, you're cute, but uh like he's like he's like i don't know like you're trying to kill me or something like that and then i was just like oh my gosh i was like this guy probably thinks i'm crazy like i keep running into him oh and like yeah so i'm but. so sorry i'm so sorry you grabbed a strange man's dick no, and then threw him across the room yeah i know like the fucking hulk and then i'll just go home and lay in bed like think about it for the I next just stayed five stayed years home. yeah yeah well yeah.
0: That's amazing. Um, keep those stories coming. All right, L- give us updates about your next interactions with him. <laughs> Maybe just, or you just lean into it, uh, and just pat him on the butt, something <laughs> when you're skating keep by. Doing. Yeah. Give winks, and then I don't know, trip over yourself. I don't
1: know. Yeah, trip him. Right. <laughs> uh, you know what happens to the best of us. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I follow this like crazy Russian professional rollerblader Mm. she's fucking amazing dude but toe spins those look really tough man
1: they are i've gotten mine down actually but i've been trying to do it where i like well kind of do like a one foot toe spin so yeah. And I just can't get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Dude, it looks, it looks hard as yeah. shit.
1: Have you consulted YouTube for any instructions? I have. I feel like looking on YouTube for tricks, it's just one of those things where it's like, I try to do what the people are saying, but I feel like you just have to get it yourself. Yeah. And then once you get it, you get it. I feel like unless like someone's physically there teaching me, I don't think I can learn from there. Mm-hmm. Unless it's like a specific trick and then I'm like, okay. Yeah. But yeah. Also, I skate with my toe stops and still, and I know like... A lot of people keep giving me shit for that, but I do, like, certain spins with my toe stops, so I just don't want to take them off. And I've seen, like, a lot of really good skaters who still skate with their toe stops in, too. Like... Yeah. So, I think it's fine. I'm managing to be able to do everything with Mm. them in, so
0: does things in their own way it's i think it's bullshit when people try to tell you it's supposed to be a certain way and yeah. it's like it's really
1: not that's how i feel because there's a the other day like maybe like a week or two ago when i was skating by one of the chicks who i always skate next to she's like an older lady she whispered to like the other guy she's like she still skates with her toe stops in or something and i like heard her training weights. i know the fuck? <laughs> and i have them like all the way like ground down like to the nub yeah i just like to have them yeah so whatever
0: yeah it's it's weird it's yeah. weird when people take it personally or uh, yeah it's like this reason to judge somebody yeah. else and it's like, like it you're not you don't have to skate with your toe things in yeah like, <laughs> if you've got out and that's great for you it's, yeah it's bizarre i don't know people get hung up on what they think it's supposed to be because somebody else told them what it's supposed to be rather yeah. than just like hey we're out here and we're skating yeah. and everybody's having fun you it know doesn't
1: fucking matter
0: yeah right cheers <laughs> You're drinking coffee. I'm. I've got to me pipe. <laughs> I don't know, man. Other than that, I don't. Yeah, I don't really have, have a lot going on. Like, as well, I know we're. I don't. I keep saying that, and then I'm like, so anyway. <laughs> uh, we went to the Grand Canyon. That was fun. It was just really hot. So I would recommend not going mid July to yeah. go to the Grand Canyon. It was only like 90 something, but it felt like it was 400 degrees, dude. But really pretty sights. Had some pretty crazy shuttle drivers. I don't know. It, it went drivers. well. We did. <laughs> well, like, there was this one lady that just, she was Southern, and she, like, kept mumbling to herself. They we You have to wear the masks inside oh, the yeah. shuttle bus because it's, like, National Park, whatever. Yeah. So the lady had her mask on, and she's just, like, mumbling into her mic the entire ride. And it's not, they're all really short rides. They're, like, yeah. I don't know. 90 seconds to two minutes oh, at the most okay. yeah. so like it's only two minutes maybe but she's just like mumbling to herself oh, you guys have been a great crowd you're a lot better than my other crowd and, oh well, do you see that white water water rafting down there i don't know if i would want to do that <laughs> how much does that cost i mean i don't know because i don't care <laughs> she just was like going on and she
1: didn't shut the fuck so up weird, yeah
0: so she was bizarre um it's
1: funny, better than my last crowd all right it was here like,
0: for 90 seconds <laughs> are we just not screaming at you just shut yeah. the fuck up is that why i don't blame uh, them
1: yeah but it was cool too
0: they were like just you kind of forget like these major attractions there's a ton of people from all over the world so we heard like french and greek russian there's like That's an indian cool. family chinese uh-huh. it was like just everything from everywhere it was really cool um so like i don't know there were some snippy shuttle drivers that were like Mm. getting annoyed with people for asking questions but it's like dude their english is not their first language and everybody's trying real hard and i'm sorry you're answering dumb questions all day but (laughs) it's your job yeah
1: it's like this is your fucking job, right
0: like does a waitress get mad when you ask for water no (laughs) she just (laughs) does it so anyway Okay, for reals this time. All right, yeah. I Otherwise, think. I have
1: nothing else. Yeah, I don't either.
0: Well, I went first last time, so all right. if you want to, by all means.
1: Okay, I'm going to read it off my phone, so sorry if it doesn't go well. But I think I had left off, so yeah, basically the hostage situation. I think we were like on day five or going to day six, and I had been talking about the FBI profiling um, Jim Dice as a guy, who had taken the bus and had the kid in the bunker if you don't remember if you didn't listen whatever um (laughs) stop now and go listen to that episode anyways um so yeah they had said that he was an injustice collector um i'm just reading exactly what i typed last time so sorry if you're hearing (laughs) the same shit but um yeah any like perceived wrongs that happened to him over the years Um, was something that he'd been, like, stewing over. They also labeled him the promise keeper since he had shot the bus driver Charles Poland. And so they definitely were thinking that he was going to kill this little boy, like, if he threatened to do so. So on the fifth day of the hostage situation, FBI agents went and picked up Dial's oldest daughter named Cindy, and she was from a small town in Florida. They had told her that she may need to talk to her father, and they put her in a Holiday Inn under an alias. So, his daughter and his ex-wife obviously didn't like him, and he had another daughter, but they didn't really mention her, but um, she hadn't spoken with him in over a quarter of a century and just remembered Holy how- shit. Yeah, cra- it was crazy. Um, she said, like, only really had kind of, like, negative things to t- say about him. She recalled his racist streak and his love for alcohol and firearms. Uh, she recalled her mother, who had worked as an exotic dancer was with jim because he was exciting but she eventually left him when cindy was three because she believed that if she stayed with him he was going to eventually kill her so which probably
0: probably from, a yeah. good instinct to <laughs> yeah have.
1: Uh, so anyways um while this is all happening fbi explosive expert kevin finnerty purchased all of the supplies that jim had purchased Like, he went to Home Depot, all this stuff, because they had the receipts, I think, that they had gone from his wallet and inside of his house in the trash can. And they went and bought, like, a whole bunch of PVC pipes and propane tanks. And they recreated six possible bombs that may have been kept by Dykes in the bunker. And they believed that he would detonate this bomb with an air gun pellet shot into a shotgun shell primer embedded in the pipes end cap and i just Whoa. straight up copy and pasted that because i was like that's, that's confusing yeah <laughs> but yeah i agree. So, it sounds really dangerous yeah and so they went out into a field and they detonated the bombs and they were like yeah this is definitely like dangerous if mm-hmm. any of these explode like it's enough to kill everyone in the bunker but they said that it'd have to be like a really lucky shot basically to get this um so anyways the phone conversations, because he had been kind of doing, like, the hostage situation of uh, Lieutenant Rafferty every day and talking to him on the phone. They began to be, like, just mostly sour. Um, he was making threats and talking about previous night's, like, resentments that he had brewed over. Um, Mr. Dyke's anger rose and became, he became harder to talk, to, like, I guess, down, so to speak. Uh, they had held a news conference in order to calm him down, basically thanking him for taking care of Ethan, So, yeah, they were just like, oh, like kind of, I don't know, hoping he would walk. Yeah, like hoping he would see it and maybe calm down a bit. But literally right after that, um, they opened the hatch for a delivery. It was like a medical delivery, I think. And he saw someone with a rifle and like freaked out. And then he, like, you know, gets into the bunker. He's pacing around. He's holding his gun. They had like a camera or something down there, I guess, at this point. And so they saw him like crying, holding his pistol. Like, he's, yeah. Super pissed, like just very emotionally unstable. Um, so then I guess he calls the lieutenant and tells him that Ethan, the little boy, knew how to fire the air rifle and detonate the bomb. And then I'm just going to read what he was saying. So he was saying something like, if I'm dead, the kid's going to have access to this trigger, Mr. Dykes said, leaning on the bunk bed. If I fall dead and blood goes every goddamn where, he's going to have access to that weapon and he's very likely going to get it and pull the trigger before they will be able to come through that door. And then the lieutenant was like, we don't want that to happen. I don't want you to do anything to tarnish your message. And then the lieutenant said to the SWAT officer that had been yanked from um, the medicine delivery duty. So they had the guy who had originally tried to deliver that stuff and I guess let the dude see the rifle or whatever. They took him off of that and like blamed it on him basically to kind of calm down. So anyways, um, they told him that and he still like wasn't happy. And then uh, he was like that trigger happy son of a bitch. Uh, He may think he's Rambo. He may think he's going to be a hero if he does that, but he's not going to be no goddamn hero when the world knows he's responsible for killing this kid. So, yeah. Um, On the sixth day of the hostage situation, Dykes seemed pretty on edge, and he was nearly at the end of his rope. At this point, uh, he began speaking with the district, or they began speaking with the district attorney about whether or not charges would be pressed by the state if the FBI ended up killing Dykes during a rescue attempt because they really didn't see, like, any other way it was gonna go down at this yeah. point um and i guess the district attorney was like you know what like based on the urgency of the situation they're not going to be held accountable so the fbi lawyer doug astralaga i don't know if that's right Sounds uh, good enough. <laughs> he asked like well what happens if the boys die the boy dies and then the question surprised mr adams because he hadn't really considered the state's legal course if ethan was killed in the fail failed rescue and he paused to think you're bot you're backed into a corner he said finally you have to try sorry i copy and pasted what he said so it's okay <laughs> um so anyways on the video feed the fba watched mr dykes rehearsing how he had planned to detonate the bomb and as the dra- day drew to an end mr dykes set um 5:30 p.m the next day as a deadline for when like they were gonna meet his demands and if not then I don't know. He said he was going to die in that hole. Jesus. Yeah. So on the seventh and final day of the hostage situation, they all agreed that there was no other option. And, yeah, Dice was just growing, like, increasingly irritated. And he was getting harder to talk to. So they're like, we don't see this um, situation ending in a good way. So the negotiations were over. Um, Mr. Richardson issued what the FBI calls a rolling green order. Which um, basically authorized Kevin Cornelius, which was the rescue team commander, to make a final decision to storm the bunker. Approval for the rescue um, carried conditions. Ethan had to be clear of the shaft when the team's explosive charges blew open the bunker hatch. And then Mr. Dykes had to be in the shaft at that moment. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they had... So, yeah, this was kind of fucked up. So, because they, like, had to have him in this very specific spot for... The little boy not to be injured they had his daughter sydney like plan a video call with the father and they rehearsed like what she was going to say to him like tons of conversations so she wouldn't set him off um she even had brought like family photos to share with him she had four kids by now, so she was going to show him photos of them. Since they hadn't talked to him forever, he didn't know. Mm-hmm. And then she even had a picture, I guess, of them on 4th of July, like, lighting sparklers from when she was a kid. And she was going to show it to him and, like, urge him to surrender and, like, have a chance to just be with his family or whatever. So even though he was crazy, I just felt like it was kind of sad because I guess he was, like, excited after learning he was going to speak with his daughter And after all of um, these years, he had told, like, Lieutenant Rafferty that he wanted to change his shirt and, like, brush his hair so he'd look nice, like, Um, meeting his daughter. So, kind of depressing. Yeah, so at around 3 p.m., two officers went to the bunker, and they had a laptop for him to speak to her on. So, they open the hatch or whatever. He takes the um, computer, and then he's, like, telling them, like, you know, keep their distance. Like, I'm going to need you guys to back away. So, as he's carrying the computer, like, through the bunker, and they're in that, like, spot or whatever, it, they decide to, like, detonate fucking um, explosive charges. So, yeah, but I guess his daughter had even, like, started tearing up. She had, like, heard her dad's voice on the computer oh on the God. laptop. So, they literally just, like, both, yeah, I don't know, it was fucked Traumatized up, like, set, everybody, yeah. Yeah. I was like, Jesus, so, yeah. So, anyways, um... I just, like, copy and pasted this, too, because it was, like, too fucking complicated to try to retype, but, uh, so it said that they detonated explosive charges on the eye bolts that secured the cable locks to the hatch, and then it was a wooden, like, door, I guess, or hatch, and so it flew, out like, up in the air and then landed back down into place, and then the rescue team had been hiding, and so they, like, made their way, obviously, to the hatch as soon as they did that, to, you know, whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, in the command post, Agent Richardson watched the rescue unravel over the next nine seconds. Um, the explosives team yanked the heavy wooden hatch aside while the entry team's point man, which is just like the head of the patrol, I guess. Um, he was an, a Marine corpse Iraq veteran and he went down the cinder block staircase and they had that crossbar that I had been talking about earlier. And I, I don't know they had like sketches and stuff of it online but it's kind of confusing to understand but it was that bar that they wanted to use when they dropped down into the hole because he had like it was that funnel of death he had talked about yeah where like if they dropped down their legs would break against these like ladder posts or something I don't fucking know so they had this crossbar so they could just drop down into the hatch um so he ran to the entrance settled the bar across the opening and then he like tried to swing himself into the hole But he didn't make it, and his legs were, like, snagged on what he described as a web or something. Oh. Yeah, so, and they didn't plan on that happening, so then they are like, fuck. So then another agent had tried to follow, and then they were, like, basically just, like, on top of each other. Oh, God. Yeah, so then he has his pistol, and he's, like, reaching around the corner, firing at the men, like, not really, like, looking where he's shooting. And I guess they said, like, it literally went, like, right past them, like, into the wood behind them. Oh, my God. And one of the dudes was like, am I hit? Like, he didn't know, because, you know, he's like pumped with so much fucking adrenaline but the dude was like you're fine so yeah um they weren't able to shoot back obviously because they had made those conditions like this boy can't get hurt so then at the same time he mr dykes yanks a cord that he had strung through a pvc pipe to detonate the bomb that was by the gate originally where they were talking to him through that pipe and all of that um and so shotgun pellets and pvc shards like went everywhere the bunker shook and smoke was like pouring inside of it um back at the post they were all worried about ethan because now it's like not going as they planned yeah so and they couldn't get inside of the bunker so they don't know what the fuck's happening so they sent an attack dog to investigate and the dog got stuck too at the same (sighs) obstacle yeah so they pulled the dog out and they saw that there was like tons of cable like all strung along um, across like the ladder to the wall that i guess he literally had set up a web with like cable like thinking that they would do something like this yeah so then they cut through these fucking cables and they filled the bunker with smoke grenades and then the agent basically said like fuck this crossbar after 4 minutes had passed cuz they're like this is too much time and he just like dove into the fucking hole Whoa. um he lunged forward and instead of grabbing dice he ended up grabbing ethan and he like cradled him to his chest and then he started to make his way back to get um, up the ladder out of the bunker and then rescuers were were pouring into the bunker. Um, Other agents found dykes and I guess there was like some kind of tussle and they ended up shooting him over a dozen times in the face, neck and torso. Yeah. And after they shot him a dozen times, they handcuffed his body, you know, just in case. Yeah, And then they were taking, um, they finally got Ethan up the ladder and I guess he was asking, like, where's that man? Where's that man? Or whatever. And they were like, oh, you're not going to see him anymore. He's gone. So, yeah. And then rescues just, con- rescuers continue to, like, go down to the hole to get fucking Jim. Uh, <laughs> and, yes. yeah, that was basically the situation. So, um, they, it said online that they had held, like, a memorial, obviously, for the bus driver who had died and I guess, like, a ton of people went, especially after, like, the media and everything. Like, it was, like, a big, like, huge, like, service for him. Um, And then they had awarded that boy who was um, on the 911 phone call on the bus, who Mm -hmm. was, like, super calm. They gave him, like, some kind of award from the bus some weird bus association or something yeah i don't know and then um i didn't know they held a war they had like awards yeah i didn't know either it was weird and then um the lady who had taken the nine one one call i guess she quit her fucking job afterwards she's like this was stressful um and then it said the fbi honored bill rafferty with a medal for meritus i don't fucking Mm -hmm. know um achievement and it's i guess it's the agency's highest award for a non-agent and then it said that he still kept like a photo of the boy or whatever in his office who knows now because i don't know when this article was written but um and then after the hostage situation ethan turned six and i guess the officers at the police station had gotten him a cart full of toys at target and they delivered it to him on his birthday and i guess they had said too that because he was kind of raised in a shitty home and his mom had been on drugs and like moved from house to house and he had like kind of those behavioral issues Mm -hmm. that he was pretty normal after everything happened. And they credit it to that. Like it didn't really like phase him, I guess, Mm. but they did say that he got like worse, like his behavior got worse. Like, I guess like a brother or like a kind of like brotherly caretaker or something. Mm -hmm. And then Sydney, Mr. Dyke's daughter, um, had felt, like, kind of jaded, I guess, because of what happened, because she felt like they had set her up, and then she, I guess, said she had, kind of, like, come to the realization that, like, there was no other way that was going to go down, really, and so, um, I guess she couldn't afford to get him buried, her dad, Aww. and so she said she keeps his ashes in the mobile home, like, her mobile home closet. Yeah, so, and then after all of that, after the whole fucking seven-day hostage, nobody still knows, like, what his story was or what he was wanting to say on the news so kind of crazy interesting so how many
0: days so he was in the bunker for seven days with that kid yeah and he still didn't say what he wanted well
1: that's plenty of time yeah so no one knows what it was all about so kind of crazy that's pretty (laughs)
0: fucking wild man yeah I was actually sitting, like, on the edge of my seat
1: a little yeah. bit.
0: Like, oh, my God, what? They're shooting around the corner. They're stuck in a web. Like, yeah. what the fuck?
1: Yeah, sorry. I was kind of all over the place. I hadn't read it since, No, like, that's really okay. Last time I typed it out and stuff, and then editing it. Yeah. Stuff, so. <laughs> yeah.
0: I get it, man. I, uh, you know, I waited to the very last second <laughs> to type mine out, so. I'm familiar with it, only because I started this morning. Yeah. So. Hmm. um, All right. Well, that's fucking insane i uh yeah
1: I thought it was pretty interesting <laughs> glad you did that
0: what was that alabama yeah, yeah. alabama cool whoo alabama all right i'm gonna do mine all so right. the kkk part two right. it's i'm excited I, I didn't get as far as i wanted to dude like i was hoping to make it to like david duke and i i didn't i kind You're of good ended it after like martin luther king basically so all right <laughs> It's the Klan, again. So I know you had things with the temperance movement where the Klan acted as law enforcement and real law enforcement just let them. Um, there were a couple of things I forgot to mention that I'll try to include, but one of those things was how rough things were after World War One. So there were deep social tensions accompanied by high wartime inflation. Um, so food prices had more than doubled between 1915 and 1920, and clothing had tripled. So I us living through a pretty major inflation you know i would say we kind of feel that pinch like and it's still not as high as it was for them so all right uh the steel strike became the focal point of social anxieties especially bolshevism so this kind of i mean again i feel like it blows my mind all the time (laughs) because i don't know anything but the russian revolution really freaked people out um that communism would come to america for some reason Uh, the Russian Revolution was between 1917 and 1923 so it happened right in that sweet spot when Vladimir Lenin and, and his communist movement overthrew the last czar of Russia Russia had been one of the most impoverished countries in Europe with enormous peasantry and a growing number of poor industrial workers America was feeling a similar pinch in their working class especially in the midst of the Great Depression so when Americans heard that in Russia there were desperate people looking for answers and were sick of generational poverty that led to a rise in communism and overthrow of their government You can imagine how that kind of made the capitalists feel uneasy. You know, that, oh, shit, we're kind of going through the same shit. We've Mm -hmm. got to make sure we protect it from communism. Um, So anyone that came over from southern and eastern Europe countries were thought to have leftist uh, ideologies and needed to be feared and kept out. So add to the fact that over half the labor force consisted of immigrants at that time, and that from 1880 to 1920, the number of foreign-born increased from 7 million to 14 million. So that's a pretty big yeah jump um
1: for what were the years uh between
0: 1880 and 1920 so in a 40-year period the foreign population doubled so like yeah you know people were like oh my god um, and they all had a fuck ton of babies. So <laughs> about one third of the 105 million Americans in the 1920s belonged to immigrant communities, especially in larger cities. So in the 1920s led to a lot of bizarre and hysterical attacks between 1920 and 1925 clan membership grew from about two to five million. So sorry, from two million to five million. Oh. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so a group that formed during this period was the woman's Christian temperance union um, uh i
1: think i remember you talking about did them. i okay yeah well not in the podcast but at work one oh, day oh okay yeah
0: I, dude i think i might have yeah. but i didn't i don't think i let like did i yeah i don't remember it being like clan related though but yeah apparently these two had really strong ties but can you imagine like a less fun group to hang out with than the <laughs> woman's christian temperance <laughs> union yeah uh so on or i'm sorry so one of the first female leaders of the national wkkk which sounds like a really fucking weird radio station (laughs) like so the women's ku klux klan Mm -hmm. in little rock uh lulu markwell she also headed the wctu for 20 years Uh, another woman that was in charge of the youth wctu sorry the women's (laughs) christian temperance union was also an important leader in the wkkk uh Daisy daisy douglas barr she was an imperial empress not star wars <laughs> that was in charge of 250,000 clan members she was also a powerful member of the WCTCU fuck dude this, this is a lot <laughs> it's a fine. lot of words uh, the clan was also they the clan also did make very large donations to the women's temperance union oh, okay. so uh, the w TCU supported the group because of their effect. In, oh my God, I can do it. Effectiveness and arrests and convictions, despite intimidation and violence used in investigations. So you just can't really let those pesky little details for framing someone hold you back on your arrests. Uh, so weird side note, but and this is a, it's kind of random. But we also, when we think of like the Prohibition timeline, I think we think of like really just like crazy white people. But I guess there was like a really big also like black. A prohibitionist movement it had started with Frederick Douglass he had been a strong supporter of prohibition long before the movement because he saw it as a way for masters to keep their slaves down so as a way you know to keep them like inebriated and they're not ever thinking clearly yeah. and so you can boss them around a little bit better um, so plus prohibition and abolition of slavery they'd been tied together for a really long time um, before the temperance movement in early America the alcohol rates were about five times higher than after prohibition so but there were black organizations that were pro temperance movement and several chapters did pop up all over the usa so just throwing that weird little side note in there um so a common thing colonizers did when they came to a new place was they always introduced alcohol to whatever natives that they came across but natives almost most likely did not have a tolerance for like really high spirits Mm -hmm. you know really strong liquor um so colonizers would recoil at how drunk and uh, oppressed oh i'm sorry Colonizers would recoil at how drunk the oppressed would get, and would use natives' inability to hold their liquor as a way to prove superiority of racial hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So, but white people in America would constantly complain about all the drunk black people, despite black people drinking much less than whites. In fact, post-war censuses found that alcohol poisoning among black people was only a third among whites, and died from cirrhosis of the liver at one quarter of the rate of white people. Mm. Uh, but white moms were always fueled by imaginary black drunks, like raping white women. So. Uh, okay. In 1924, more than 40% of Klan members were in just three states, Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois. Um, But the Klan also had a lot of support in Maine, Colorado, and Oregon. And this is crazy. So, like, I didn't realize... So, like, I think I had said last time, like, oh, like, KKK was really anti-Catholic, like, how weird. But I guess they actually got private schools shut down in Oregon for a while because private schools were most likely religious schools, which meant most likely Catholic schools. So they got a ton of Catholic schools in Oregon shut down, like, legally, um, so that everyone had to go to public school. Yeah. You didn't have the option of private. But
1: why were they so anti?
0: Because it typically came from Europe, and, like, we're white Protestants, and we're, like, the best of the best. Oh.
1: Hmm. I, <laughs> I'm
0: like, huh, that's
1: makes no sense zero sense
0: (laughs) again insane you can have Jesus you can have God a holy trinity you can have Mary and Joseph and all the religions she was a virgin there's Matthew you know there's all the apostles there's Paul and you can still say oh no that group's definitely going to hell (laughs) even though everything else is the fucking same their rituals are different so anyway religion is a poison All right. (laughs) so anyway uh Oh, and the other belief, too, that they hated Catholics was that they believed that a Catholic would be more loyal to the Pope than their own country. So if the Pope had some call to oh. kill everyone, I guess people would just do it. Yeah. I don't know what they were afraid the Pope was going to do. <laughs> so... Let's see. A political leader named Ira Hershey said, we have thrown open wide our gates and through them have come other alien races of alien blood from Asia and Southern Europe with their strange and pagan rites, their babble of tongues. So people think Ira was referring to like Latin mass and Hebrew services when he was talking about (laughs) pagan rites. Um, So the Klan put out all anti-Catholic material that would spread misinformation. And what's just really think about what the Catholic church has been like what we have talked about the catholic church over the years the things that they have done to actual children no one touches that they just like make up all kinds of other wild shit you know (laughs) it's just like man there's real shit happening (laughs) in the catholic church (laughs) and instead they would spread things like nuns took pleasure in whipping young girls and that nuns and priests were like fucking all the time and having all kinds of abortions and it's like they're touching little they're like touching children like all you have to do is say that um so the knights of columbus vowed to okay this is just fuck i could not believe what i read the knights of columbus vowed to burn waste boil flog strangle and bury alive heretics rip open their stomachs and wombs of their women and crush their infants heads against the walls in order to annihilate their uh exorable race oh my god that is a proud Protestant man. Nice. So yeah. can you feel the love of Jesus Lord? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so the Klan in the 1920s was more organized and it spanned much farther across the U.S. In 1925, nearly 40,000 Klansmen and women paraded down Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. There's pictures of them just marching in front of the White House, you know, just open faces too. They're not covering wow. their faces. They're like not embarrassed. Um. So, yeah, the the KKK was happily operating out in the open. The number of marchers actually shocked D.C. um, because no one was prepared. I guess retail shops and restaurants ran out of products. Like, restaurants just literally were like, we're out of food. Uh Because, like, all of you fuckers have shown up and eaten everything. Um, In fact, to transport all the Klan's members, 46 trains had to be chartered. Uh, They would even... They were holding Klansmen specials and shit for people going to D.C. Uh, The majority of the Klan at that time was middle class and white, obviously. Um, being a clan member was so normal that at the time the KKK would openly sponsor baseball teams, beautiful baby, uh, pageant. Oh my God. I can say it. Beautiful baby contests, road rallies, father, son outings, weddings with special clan vows, baby christenings, festivals, like they were holding, promoting like everything. You can see video footage of like a baseball team with like KKK on the back and they're just playing like another random team. So it's fucking wild, man. Um, there were ministers that were would promote it. They the numbers that they have, they think there are around forty thousand ministers that were members of the clan in the South. So they're preaching oh, that. Yeah. Um the Klan was really great at promoting just themselves. Um, they also understood how to capitalize on people's fears. So after World War One understandably created a chaotic environment with stress, strikes, unemployment. Uh, you add in race riots and the temperance movement so it was just kind of this perfect cocktail of uncertainty and people were willing to accept any answer as the right one even if it was a dumb one so leaders were able to recruit in a more aggressive manner and it led to a huge spike in numbers it was sort of a package deal where a person would pay ten dollars to join uh, the clan and then another 650 to get a shiny new hood and robe Uh, today that would be around 213 bucks Just Hmm. for the membership and getting your robe, I guess. And then I guess they had so many robes they were making. They actually made, they created their own manufacturing, like sewing. They were processing their own fucking hoods. It was kind of like a a racket. It was kind of a scam, really. But, anyways. So, luckily, the second clan era sort of self imploded for many reasons one such reason would be that too many clan members got caught with their hands in the honey jar stealing money because of how much was moving through and then second some people think like maybe they just felt outnumbered like realistically at most there were six million clan members that they think but at the same time there's 18.6 million catholics in the country 3.6 million jews 14 million foreign-born and 10.5 uh million i forgot to write (laughs) what after that but there's 10.5 million of something else (laughs) that mattered so that's a lot of people to try to kick out and control so maybe they just felt overwhelmed and just kind of ditched the clan um but they think the really the nail in the coffin for the second clan era was the fact that they claimed moral superiority um and being better than everybody else uh A lot of people bailed when the story of DC Stevenson came out Stevenson was the Grand Dragon of the Indiana clan around with around 500,000 followers and was considered one of the most powerful men in the entire state Um, he was convicted though of rape and murder of a young woman that worked for him so it's kind of hard to have the moral high ground when your leader goes to prison for like Uh, violating another human being in such an inhumane way so yeah Uh, As time went on and the country was not falling apart because of immigrants, like the Klan had said, by 1927, numbers went from around 6 million to 350,000. So it really fucking dropped. (laughs) But much like the first era of the Klan, it may not have been that people kind of saw the light and started behaving like rational adults. It might have been that the movement was sort of obsolete in the sense that with everybody thinking in the same way, the Klan wasn't, like, providing much other than a title. So everything was still being run by former Confederate soldiers or their descendants. So when, like, the police judges and juries that are all forcing minority groups to stay uh, economically disadvantaged, the Klan doesn't, like, produce much. Um, so things really started to change when federal laws started passing in 1948, President Truman ordered integration in the military, but this did not deter the KKK from participating in the armed forces. So here are just a few examples, like over the years, uh, in the 1920s, they were still openly recruiting to join up. So like the Klan would Mm -hmm. promote the military, like join up, you know, it's your, your, uh, national duty or whatever. So... We do know for sure that there was, like, an entire Klan chapter aboard one Navy vessel, like, you know, in the 1920s. In 1968, when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, active Klan members that were in Vietnam burned crosses and paraded around like a bunch of dickheads in their robes on on an American base. Um, In 1976, Marines wore Klan badges and held Klan meetings at Camp Pendleton in California and even after the inevitable altercation breaking out at the meeting with other black soldiers, leadership continued to turn a blind eye uh, to those with clan affiliation. Even today, the military does not feel that white supremacy is a problem and really shouldn't be looked into. So, fucking cat, <laughs> dude. Oh my god. I'm so sorry. Okay. Fucking Pyro. Sorry, he's an asshole. It's okay. Okay, so... Uh, the next resurgence of the clan, known as the Third Era, a fucking shit cat. Okay, sorry. It's okay. Everybody, hold. I have to murder my fucking cat. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought put John put the cats away, but as we have just discovered, he did not. Okay, so. The next resurgence of the Klan, known as the Third Era, occurred around the time of Brown versus the Board of Education. Um, elementary schools in Kansas had been segregated since 1897. There are records of parents challenging the laws as early as 1881. By 1950, eleven court challenges uh, to the segregated school systems had reached the Kansas State Supreme Court, with none successfully overturning the law. But in 1950, the Topeka, uh, oof, the Topeka, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, chapter of the NAACP organized yet another case for the 13 families they represented uh, they complained that their children were forced to ride or walk over a mile uh, to and from school instead of being allowed access to the nearby white school but the U.S. District Court cited the Plessy versus Ferguson ruling that state I'm sorry that separate but equal was totally legal Um, and I know I had talked about it I think in the jazz episode mm-hmm. of plessy Ver- versus ferguson too so i guess a lot of states would cite plessy Ver- versus ferguson i'm gonna be able to say it but <laughs> i keep saying plessy ferguson plessy versus ferguson um that well the supreme court ruled it so we're just following the law mm-hmm. so that was their excuse every single time um so the plaintiffs appealed and finally in 1952 they were joined with four over four other NAACP chapters out of Delaware, South Carolina, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. Chief Counsel Thurgood Marshall argued that separate was inherently unequal and thus violated the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. Um, he also argued that segregated school systems had a tendency to make black children inferior to white children, which I think he is correct. Uh, Again, another two years passed on in May. On May 14th, 1954, the court ruled that separate but equal had no place in this country. The ruling desegregated public schools. Antonio and states had to change things up, so many Southern senators opposed the ruling. James Eastland, a senator from Mississippi, said out loud, the South will not abide by nor obey this legislative decision by a political party. So he was not alone. Um, I, there was even an Arkansas governor that called out the national guard to keep out black kids that were trying to get into the school. And then it was either treason or Truman or Eisenhower that like called on federal troops to like let them in. So it was hmm. like really fucking tense, yeah. man. Um, Harry Byrd, a hardcore segregationist, nope. Segregationist uh, also complained that the ruling was, his his words the most serious blow that has yet been struck against the rights of states in a matter vitally affecting their authority and welfare i don't know how but in 1956 senator Byrd created a coalition of nearly a hundred southern politicians to sign his southern manifesto which was an agreement to resist desegregation Um, it was also referred to as the massive resistance Uh, it touted crazy shit like It is destroying the amicable relations between the white and Negro races uh, that have been created through 90 years of patient effort by the good people of both races. I don't know what to say to that. Uh, (laughs) A luxury version of the KKK was created called the White Citizens Council, um, which was actually named, it was like nicknamed the White Collar Clan. The founders said shit like integration represents darkness, regimentation, totality, totalitarianism I can do it communism and destruction Um, these people really thought that it was the end of the fucking world if black kids and white kids sat in the same room together and learned everything all at once Um, the uh oh Oh yeah, the White Citizens Council uh, had ties to the John Birch Society, which is a fringe far-right group that believed that there was a vast communist conspiracy existing in the U.S. government. They believed President Eisenhower was among the commies. In uh, 1966, they filed a petition with the federal government to investigate whether Martin Luther King and 100,000 civil rights activists were communists. The John Birch Society said uh, the civil rights was being created by moscow which wanted soviet negro a soviet negro republic i don't know why the russians would want that (laughs) from what i've heard they're pretty fucking racist themselves um so here's what uh dr king had thought of the wcc um the white Citizens' Council. Uh, they piously claim that they don't believe in violence, but we know all too well that their methods and public denouncements create a very atmosphere, uh, create the very atmosphere for violence. Um, you know, I think that's accurate. It's yeah. easy to entice a riot, I guess, get people all worked up. Um, so that is about as far as I could take it, sadly. It uh, but I should note that between the 1860s like mid 1860s through the civil rights movement over 6500 lynchings took place um today there are 25 states with active clan activity colorado is one of them yeah. sadly um yeah so that was about it and but luckily i did read that um there's all it's a it's really pathetic the numbers it's hang on
1: it's, like, not illegal to have these groups as long as they're...
0: Nope. You can have them. Mm. Um, clan membership in the U.S. is between 5,000 and 8,000. So, ah, luckily, okay. it's just yeah. not much. But, I mean, that's still enough to do damage. Like,
1: yeah.
0: all it took was one kid in Buffalo, New York to yeah. go shoot up, yeah. a, you know, a, a grocery store that was known for having a higher black population. Like, it's pretty nuts. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, oh, this was another crazy thing there was okay the clan has a special youtube show just for kids so oh my god and this was like 2013 i don't know i doubt it's like still on but i mean they had this kid on to like ask questions like i'm being bullied by this black kid and he's putting voodoo curses on me and like just making up wild shit man so and there's like you know there's youtube channels there's youtube channels for everything but of course um for kids yeah for kids Uh still clan rallies. Uh yeah, I don't know. Okay. I don't that was, <laughs> that was pretty much it. Oh shit, my sources. Well, I just got this from oh, yeah. from MIC.com. Hang on. Now I have to. Well, I don't see a name. So MIC.com was one. And then okay. Mm-hmm. NAACPLDF.com, a New York Times article by Dave Phillips, an NPR article by Linton Weeks, a Washington Post article by Philip Bump um historic indianapolis.com an article by stephen j taylor nps.gov politico an article by josh zeitz another one by mark lawrence um Levin.us, an article by david hansen wcbi.nlm.nih.gov <laughs> <laughs> An article by Charles Hirschman and Elizabeth Mogford, digitalhistory.uh.edu, and then history.com. And I feel like I still missed some sources. Okay. But so.
1: These were mine, sorry, since cool. I just remembered. I okay. used this website a lot because it was, like, so good. Um, it was just graphics.wsj.com slash hostage. Then a CBS News article. Then I used Wikipedia, the 2013 Alabama Bunker Hostage Crisis. I read a BuzzFeed article, a article on militaryhistory.fandom.com, and then I think that was all of them. Cool. Yeah. Oh, fuck, we did it, man. Jesus yeah. Christ. Sorry, I was all over the place. No, me
0: too, man. I feel like I missed so much. I wanted yeah. to get to David Duke. I wanted to get to more contemporary stuff, but it was like... A lot of just like the same yeah. shit. Websites are repeating, and I'm reading the same shit over and over. Yeah. And I've spent like another 15 fucking hours on this. It's really interesting though. It's yeah. crazy. I had no idea there was like such a deep history. Yeah. I just thought like a bunch of dumbasses got together and wore sheets yeah. and like terrorized people. But yeah. it's like so much it's more crazy, complicated yeah. than that. Like, why am I talking about the Russian Revolution? <laughs> but like, I have to because people were freaking the fuck out about yeah. it. So It's like if you're if you ever need an excuse to do something, you will always find an excuse. You know, I'm attacking these Catholic people because Russians. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever it takes. Yeah. I guess that's it, man. We shall say farewell and. So long. Farewell.
1: Yeah. Keep it real. Peace out. Peace out, Girl (laughs) Scout. Bye. Bye.